This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the form of ones and zeros are my beautiful co-hosts, including rising M2, Nathan Spitz. Hello, students. <laughs> Rising M3, Abby Fife is here. Hey. Rising M3, Madeline Cusimano has joined us. Hello. And Rising, so I don't know what you are, M4, Levi yeah, we'll, we'll call it that. is on the mic today. I'm back. He's back. Uh, don't forget, listeners, we're having our annual summer listener drive. We're content to have you listening, but we must have more. More, I tell you, Levi. I want more. Uh, Low-budget, wretched shows like ours depend on word of mouth uh, to get people to give us a try. So, listeners, I'm I'm going to bribe you. I'm willing. I'm willing to bribe you. Share our show on the internet wherever listeners might hang out. Med students, pre-med students, nursing students, students of the human condition, <coughs> students of the non-human condition. Share an episode and take a screenshot, send that screenshot to the shortcoats at gmail.com, and I'll send you a free pin that I made myself. It's our logo, 3D printed, coated with a hard dome of clear resin, and then gazed upon with love by me in the hopes that when it gets into your hands, you feel that love. Uh, it's just my way of saying thanks uh, for telling the world about the Shortcode Podcast. Appreciate your help. Do you like, do you tuck them in at night? Kiss them I on do. The head? I do. I tuck them in. I give them a, a, a glass of warm milk. I just put, I just take all, all of the ones that I've made so far and just throw them into a glass of warm milk. Because <laughs> uh, I think that's how you're supposed to do it. That yeah. is the most eloquent description I think I've ever heard. And then I read them a bedtime story. Because I love them. Uh, how long does it take you to make a pin, Dave? Uh, like... I'm not going to, it, it takes, it, 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 if, if it was, hmm. How shall I put this? I mean, I put some effort into it, but it doesn't some. take very long. Okay, so you're not like oh, spending like seven hours every day making one pin. I'm no, so worried no, about your well-being. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's it's wellness, Abby, making the pin. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Are you going to submit that, it in a wellness passport? <laughs> get that stamp. Get that stamp. <laughs> Levi, I see that you've, uh, I saw that you slipped the bonds of the four-year curriculum to be a pathology extern. Yeah. Can, can you tell uh, everyone uh, what you've been doing in the last year? Yeah, so a little bit kind of just what what is an externship. Um, uh, so here at Iowa, you can do this either after your second or third year, and you basically jump out of the traditional curriculum for one calendar year. Um, you get paid a, a stipend to essentially function as a uh, first-year pathology resident um, who doesn't have to take call responsibility, so that's quite nice. Um, so... Essentially, what I've been doing for the last year has been uh, rotating through areas of the pathology department where we can be helpful and where we can, you know, learn learn some of the aspects of pathology. So I've done several rotations in uh, autopsy pathology, surgical pathology, and then some um, other areas of anatomic pathology like cyto and neuropathology, and then a little bit of clinical pathology like uh, heme, blood bank, and that sort of thing. And, and then so you're, we, a, you're a TA for, uh, for usually are usually path externs or uh, TAs for a for a, uh, a class, right? Yeah. So at the beginning of the year, um, we got divided into groups to TA for a, a human pathology course um, that's taught to the uh, graduate students, PA, uh, sorry, PT students and dental students. And so myself and Eric Schneiders uh, both taught the uh, or helped co-teach the PT students this year. Nice. 
Can I, this is a me not knowing, why does pathology have an externship and not other specialties? So other specialties do. It's a different format. So there's an anesthesia externship and a radiology externship. Um, and I think a lot of it, th- this is purely speculation, is because at least for for pathology, um, kind of right out the gate, you can kind of start doing exactly what the residents are doing with the same privileges because it's not like we're making final treatment decisions or prescribing. Essentially, a, lo- a lot of what we're doing, say, for instance, in surgical pathology, you know, we're drafting a report and all that has to happen after that is that uh, faculty has to review the slides, review the report, and click OK or make make some edits. And, you know, it's not like as it's not as much hands on patient care where you have to be sort of licensed at each step of the way to be able to provide certain things with you know x or y amount of, of supervision so I'm, I'm not exactly sure but i know at least for pathology and say like radiology it kind of lends itself to the more more hands-off things and then uh for for anesthesia um i i don't really know what they do so well so for anesthesia and radiology you can't like take a year off to do them you have to do them during like clinical rotations they're like night side um from what i understand. Um, and I think that's just like a funding, um, decision. I think the other part of the, which again, kind of speculation, but I had a good friend who went into pathology and she was talking about how like a lot of people don't go into med school, like wanting to be a pathologist. So I think a part of it like is awareness for the specialty, so they were like, here, you can have like a year where you get paid, where you get exposure, you're doing the work. Um, kind of like think about what, what direction you want to go after that. Whereas, um, so that's why it's kind of a little bit more of a robust program than the other ones from what I understand. Yeah. I don't know why people don't, uh, think of being a pathologist when they go into med school because pathology, uh, actually has a pretty good, pretty good setup. Uh, oh yeah. At least compared to what, what do you, what would I just you... think people don't hear about it as yeah. much. It's just not something that people, yeah. Okay. My that... is I want to talk to the the people not the tissue like i want to see the, the real person like i i thought at first going to college i would do research and then i like did research and i was like this sucks i'm just alone in the lab all day and then i did shadowing and i was like look all the patients i get to talk to them and so it's like pathology just wouldn't work for my personality i'm a little too extroverted to you talk to your colleagues I'm not interested in pathology at all, but like Levi talks one to would his argue slides. that you have plenty of colleagues to talk to. Yeah, Levi okay. talks to his slides like I talk to my uh, pen. <laughs> I, I tuck, I tuck them in at night. <laughs> I uh, worked in histopathology, so I did tuck the slides into the little cardboard, <laughs> little cardboard trays to deliver to the. So you do, you do tuck them in, and and we appreciate that. <laughs> uh, well, that sounds good. That sounds really good. We've got a listener question for us to consider uh, from Kayla, who has big plans for the next few years. Let's uh, let's bring up Kayla's question here. Oh, I remember this one. Am I doing this right? Here we go. Hello, Schwartz. I just graduated, and I'm taking several gap years before medical school to be a Peace Corps volunteer, which is hella exciting, but it makes applying kind of complicated. I am taking the MCAT this summer, and since Peace Corps is a 27-month commitment, I will be floating right on the edge of the three-year time limit for usable MCAT scores at most schools. My question for you is, if I were to apply for medical schools while still in the Peace Corps, so that I could matriculate in the same year that I return to the USA, do you think that would put me at a disadvantage? I think especially since some med schools are having to do virtual interviews right now due to Mrs. Corona, maybe it will set a precedent to make virtual interviews more accessible in the future. Excellent question. What do you guys think? So I have a friend, which I won't identify her, but um, she's someone I went to college with. And um, she was applying to the Peace Corps um, the same year that I was applying to um, medical school. I had planned a gap year. So we took our MCAT at the same time um, the summer before our senior year of college. And her goal was to apply and then def- and then get in and then defer. Um, 
her MCAT score ended up not being like as high as she would have liked. So she decided to apply during the Peace Corps so that she could actually put that in her application. Um, it absolutely boosted her resume. Um, every med school that she got interviews for wanted to talk about it. She got plenty of interviews. Um, and she, once she kind of did that experience, she didn't have any issues with getting in or getting interviews. Um, she had a really strong application overall, I would say, besides that MCAT score. Um, but as she was in South America, so it was a little bit easier for her to fly back and she flew back for every interview. She had to cancel some because just timing didn't work out and she used up absolutely every ounce of vacation time that she had for the Peace Corps to do this, but she felt that it was worth it. Um, schools, she even had, I think Indiana like scheduled a special interview day for her. Mm. So she just interviewed alone. Um, because she couldn't fit into any of their interview days. But um, anyway, it was definitely not a disadvantage to apply like during the Peace Corps, but I think she made the, a good decision in like flying back for interviews for herself so that she could get a feel for the school um, and then also so that they could get a feel for her. But I also understand like if you're in Africa or Asia, that might not be as easy. And so maybe this like switch to virtual interviews being more accepted could be a good thing for at least some of them. I, I don't know anyone who went to the Peace Corps and did medical school, but I mean, I like as far as what admissions committees are looking for, they want like well-rounded people who genuinely want to better the community and like have a really broad like experience, like a breadth of experience. Uh, and I feel like the Peace Corps pretty much fits that description to a T. So I'm guessing like the Peace Corps itself isn't going to be an issue at all. If anything, it's just going to really help because you just look, I mean, I'm sure if you're going into the Peace Corps, you're quite the humanitarian and just a good person. And that's who med students or med schools want, but it's just more like if they still are doing virtual interviews then. And I hope that they'll use this like pandemic to be a little more flexible with that because I would say like she absolutely deserves to be able to do a virtual like that's a good reason to do a virtual interview whereas like some people maybe would want to take advantage of it for less I think there are lots of good reasons reason. to keep on doing virtual interviews if we yeah. can or at least work them into the process I, I, I mean I, there are pluses and minuses right I mean at least you'll be able at least you won't have to travel right and you won't mm -hmm. incur additional expenses part of what um, you know, keeps people uh, with low socioeconomic circumstances from applying to med school is the cost. And so this would be one way to, you know, sort of decrease the cost potentially. But um, there are good reasons to to do in-person interviews like you get to experience the school that you're that you're going to, at least on some level. You get to take a look around, see how happy people are, see what the environment is like, see what um, you know, what your colleagues might be like, um, and all that kind of stuff. And that is hard to underestimate the importance of that. Um, I mean, I think one solution if, see, she, okay. So I, I didn't play the part of her question where she was like, you know what? I know I could, you know, just wait, um, to do the, to, to do the MCAT and then apply the, the year after that. Um, and I could, I might end up doing that. I, I don't think that would be a huge issue. This is a, uh, a marathon and not a sprint. And so um, it's not like I've discounted that. Um, but I thought one thing you could do if, if you really wanted to, um, to do this is use your vacation time to uh, maybe travel and visit the schools um, that you otherwise not be, might not be able to mm -hmm. later. And then if they have virtual interviews available still um, by the time you apply, then you'll be in a position to do that. Um, otherwise, you can just do your original plan of deferring and, and, um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, taking your MCAT later and deferring. Yeah, I feel like um, 
that all depends on the flexibility of the med schools, which hopefully we're moving in that direction. But yeah, like being able to attend interviews in a timely manner. So like when they offer you the date virtually, but maybe going and visiting the ones that you got into later in the spring, whether that lines up with a second look day or not, or if you have to set it up yourself. Um, and then that would be potentially less travel if you interview, say, at seven places, got into three, you know. That wouldn't be so bad. Something I think to consider too is like if you know the virtual interviewers aside, um, if some school, if all the schools or some are doing rolling admissions, and you try and bunch them up, you know, if you are in Africa and you can only take a week, and you try and do like a circuit, you know, to try and like coordinate with all of those schools, they may end up bunching you later in the cycle. Or I had a friend in Dublin who you know she had to do a lot of interviews over winter break. Um, and that is kind of towards the end or end ish of a rolling admission school. Um, so I think that's something to consider because that's as a well. slight disadvantage to be at the end of a right. school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's because yeah, I think my friend did like a group in like early November and then a group kind of right after the holidays into January. So she did like two groups. Um, what did you guys get out of what, you know, just to reinforce the point of, you know, in-person interviews being um, valuable, what did you guys get out of doing interviews in person at your, at I thought that, that applied to? Yeah. The, the most, the most valuable thing I got out of doing or being, being there in person for an interview for me was just being able to, like, like you said, get the vibe for, for the program, for the people, for the environment. Um, and not that you can't get that through virtual interviews, I obviously haven't tried, but, um, I think it would be a little bit more difficult to get that sort of intangible, um, through a virtual format. Yeah. I think for me, um, you can get a lot of information from like researching online, um, and talking to people. Um, but for me, the three kind of, I narrowed it down to two that I was, which was Iowa and somewhere else was they looked very similar on paper. Tuition was like radically cheaper at Iowa. But, um, other than that, like, I was like, wow, like, I feel like my experiences would be very similar. And I was actually leaning towards the other school. But when I like reflected back on just my experiences at Iowa, I really, really enjoyed every interaction with every person that I had. And I think that you can get a good vibe virtually, but I, um, I don't think you would meet as many different people in a virtual interview. So I really liked the tour and the different people that came in to speak to us. And all of that really like ended up pushing me to choose Iowa was how warm every single person. And that, that was just a huge factor in my decision was my interactions with the people. I know some people have different priorities. Some people would have chosen Iowa solely because it was the cheapest one or, um, their like research record or something like that. But anything else we want to say about, uh, Kayla's question? I was just going to say like, yeah, it's important to remember to like the interview day is what, like six hours or something. And, I think 20 or 30 minutes of that is the interview. So that is like, and I don't know if you did a virtual interview, if you would get all those, like if you would hear from Chris and financial aid and I don't even remember who all spoke to us, but yeah. Another piece of advice for anyone. Um, I don't know how plausible, like I haven't gone through residency interviews, but this might apply to this too, is that if you can't interview in person, like, find people either that you know that go there or email the school and ask if they can connect you to a student that goes there. Because what I did is I had phone calls with a friend that chose Iowa and a friend that chose the other school that I was thinking about. And I talked to them about their experiences and that helped me a lot too. And you could totally do that to get differing perspectives. And each school, I think, does it differently. And I really like that Carver, you know, really pushes the opportunity to stay with students um, the night before. I think that's another a great opportunity to get to, like, explore the city that you are going to be living in for four years. I know location is a different priority for each person. 
Um, and I was fortunate in my gap year to have a couple days on either side of the interview to like spend more time in that city until I get to explore and actually like picture what it would be like to live there for four years. And I think that's something that's hard to do via, yeah, via zoom, yeah. but particularly, um, in this, in this setting, um, I know some schools, Iowa has one, for instance, would be to, to reach out to an admissions office, you know, and see if they have like an ambassadors or an outreach program and just see if they can hook you up with a current student like that. Who's, you know, who already has a dedicated interest in, uh, talking to potential future students, um, and just see what they have to say. Maddie, I liked your other background better. Stop changing your background. <laughs> the video. This this is a picture from my honeymoon that I took. Yeah, I get it. But the other background, your the lighting was... The like half dark, half... The, the lighting was perfect. The, the lighting of the picture and the lighting of the room you were in was perfectly aligned. And so I could almost fool myself into believing that you were actually there. And uh, it was a pretty good illusion. Not that one. No. My my favorite yeah, yeah. one is for the listeners the meme of the dog in the room that's on fire, um, yeah. and that is the you know with like the little bubble of it's fine uh, um, that I think is a personal favorite. That's pretty. Sweet. You're or, right, Dave. This is pretty good lighting. Right, it's perfect. It's perfectly aligned. I think. Uh, good job. Uh, all right. Well, K- Kayla, uh, let us know how it goes. Oh, one other suggestion I had was. Um, you know, in doing your research, there is also no reason why you couldn't call a school and ask them to do, um, I mean, I would feel like if, if it were me, if I were in charge of admissions, I would be totally happy to do like a video tour of a school for, for students. Um, I think that might be a useful thing to do, um, as well. Could be some good, like one-on-one time, whether it's with, you know, a student ambassador or admissions person that could be some great like one-on-one time as well i know everybody feels different in tour groups on like speaking up or each person has their own particular questions or life circumstances and that could be yeah. a great opportunity to get you like your questions answered too well good as a current med student i would totally volunteer to like take someone on a tour yeah. to med school like via facetime or yeah whatever that's like a whole new world's opening up to us yeah all these tools that we had, all this, all this, all these tools that we had that we didn't even think of to use for these purposes. Uh, well, good, Kayla. Uh, let us know how it goes. Love to hear more about your Peace Corps experience. Um, and then when you uh, when you do apply, love to hear how that goes, how how that virtual or or not situation worked out for you. Uh, in your application. Also rock on doing the Peace Corps. That's freaking awesome. I yeah. don't even know if that's yeah. like been mentioned yeah. yet, but hell yeah. 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 I wonder where she's going. Guys, if you're like me, you uh, worried that Black Lives Matter protest Black Lives Matter protests currently rocking cities around the country would lead to a new wave of coronavirus infections. And uh, I've seen plenty of others expressing that fear. Uh, aside from myself, but a group of public public health professionals, infectious disease professionals, and community members are pushing back on that. Uh, in a letter signed by uh, 1,288 people, they say white supremacy is a lethal public health issue that predates COVID-19 and, in fact, contributes to it, and that these demonstrations against racism must be supported as contributing to the public health of black people. Um, and while we should prepare for an increased number of infections after protests, we should also support the right to protest and gather on that issue. Um, they had a few other ideas. Uh, uh, they should. They also advocate that arrested protesters, well, protesters should not be arrested and they should not be held in confined spaces if they are. Uh, they oppose the use of respiratory irritants like tear gas and smoke that could make the respiratory tract more susceptible to infections, and they also propose ideas to encourage alloys. Alloys? They also propose ideas to encourage allies who want to facilitate safe demonstrations like providing masks, hand washing stations, hand sanitizer, things like that to demonstrators, and supplying ropes knotted at six-foot intervals to encourage safe distances between protesters, things like that. Um, Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's true. What do you guys think about it? Oh, yeah, I think like the systemic attack on black people and people of color, but especially black people's health for hundreds of years. I mean, like black mortality, maternal mortality rates are so high, like black incarceration. Like there's literally so many areas of public health that have been so damaging 
to this community for literally like decades and hundreds of years that like this, like you had mentioned is like in the article, I guess is like a time to bring that it's been brought to light, but to like demand change and like make the pain and the loss of life, like seen and heard and felt. And yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it's not arguable that your skin color affects your health outcomes in this country. Like there's straight up facts and like even outside of police brutality, like, I don't, I wish I had these numbers, but I remember like, if you are having a heart attack, like your survival and you, and you go to the emergency room, obviously, cause you're having a heart attack, whether or not you survive, like has a, a big correlation with your race. So if you're a white man, you're way more likely to survive than a black woman. Um, yeah. and like the same thing with like obstetrics, uh, I've heard. I've heard it said that like it would be better if you're a black woman in the South to just like travel to sub-Saharan Africa to deliver your baby because they're having better outcomes. Mm. And I don't actually have any proof on that, but I think the fact that that like has been said is just like, yeah. And it's like, even, even in Iowa city, which is like a more liberal city and stuff like I, I have a friend who's black and she had a baby last year and her water broke. So she went to her hospital and this wasn't the university hospital. This was another hospital in Iowa city. And she's like, I'm pretty sure my water broke. Uh, and she was like being examined by a nurse at first and the nurse refused to check. She's like, it's kind of a painful exam and I'm sure you just peed your pants, which is like a thing that does happen, but it's not like I'm on my OB gyn rotation right now, virtually. Like that's not a thing you get to just assume because yeah, you don't, it's like, what? <laughs> that's, that's not an exam yeah. you defer. <laughs> yeah, it's not because she was like 39 and something. Like you don't just be like, nah, like you, you check. And she was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going home. Like I, I'm pretty confident. And she, she fought for herself and eventually was like, I'm not going to go home until I speak with the doctor. And the doctor came in and like heard the story and was looked at the nurse and was like, what do you, like, what do you mean? You didn't examine her, examined her, her water had broken and she ended up needing an emergency section like later that evening. And so it's just like, she, like, thank goodness she was able to fight for herself and didn't, but I feel like if I had been in that situation, I had been told to just go home, like that would make me less likely to go back to when it was emergent and like, Mm And she also went back to the same hospital with her baby later on. And he hadn't had a wet diaper in like over 12 hours. And they also like refused to examine the baby. Hmm. And so it's just like, like, I, I just don't even get it. And she, she felt very confident that it was like a discrimination issue. It wasn't just like an incompetence issue. It was like, because I believe her husband, who's white, showed up. I can't quite remember, but I believe her husband, who's white, showed up to the ER a little later, and then they examined him, and he's okay, he's fine. But it's just like, hmm, just really terrible things happening to our people of color in this country that like need to end. I think um, when I was on my OBGYN rotation, they had us read like an op-ed or. Maybe it was a, or it was an op-ed referencing a research study that was like, it's not just um, lower so- socioeconomic status, like black women who have poor obstetrical outcomes. It's like they included um, like lawyers, um, yeah. people in academia, um, black women physicians, and they're still more likely to have premature births and um, these uh, lower like outcomes in obstetrics, even among academic women who, um, are well-educated about health and, um, would even necessarily be like, it wasn't just because of like socioeconomic factors. Yeah. It's not about education, not necessarily about education. It's not about, uh, uh, income. It's about skin color. Even like Mm -hmm. social stat, like Serena Williams almost died giving birth because the doctors like didn't believe you know her pain and yeah anyway that's another that's another problem uh black people's pain is underestimated by physicians uh and even medical students like there's like a famous study of like 30 percent or more of medical students like thinking black people had thicker skin yeah which is like 
not true but yeah. i mean i guess it just goes to show like this is starting in our curriculum and the uh, iowa city police didn't appear to have read the uh uh the advice to not use respiratory irritants like tear gas and smoke this week i uh, noticed or to follow the geneva convention and not use <laughs> chemical weapons what the heck yeah we had a big demonstration uh uh wednesday a couple days before we're recording this right correct wednesday um, night uh and the 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 police chose to um, chose to respond with uh, chemical munitions. Uh, I guess to keep, my, from what I can tell from reading the the, the articles, um, to keep people from getting onto the local interstate. I guess they figured that their destination was the local interstate in order to block that interstate. So to keep them away from the interstate, they chose to um, use chemical munitions. Which, you know. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, making people cough uh, in the middle of a pandemic isn't, isn't a great idea as it is. And then to put on top of that, you know, the potential risks to the people coughing who might be infected with COVID um, because of respiratory irritation, also a terrible idea. Uh, the, the mayor of Iowa City did uh, respond by saying that wasn't appropriate and um, has apparently uh, opened some sort of investigation although it's not clear uh, where that's going to lead yet but just to, my roommate was there and like i think in the second row and he said that i could share this but they were also using flashbangs yeah um which like induce multiple seizures and my roommate's a nursing assistant in the emergency department and like as they were you know like holding this person's head making sure you know that they were okay like the police were still throwing more flashbangs and tear gas and like you know they had to wait for an ambulance to come and as they're loading this person into the ambulance, the police were still throwing flashbangs and tear gas at the ambulance, at the freaking ambulance as they're loading somebody. In, I don't know. That's I I uh, I got caught in a Facebook video loop. Uh, I think it was, oh, I think it was yesterday. I know you're talking about when Facebook just starts suggesting more and more. Yeah, yeah. Videos, more and more videos of the same type, and I I got sucked into this cycle of watching. Um, and, and, you know, these videos of, of, uh, protesters being responded to terribly by police, um, these examples, and it was horrifying. You know, I, I, I couldn't, you know, by the time I, I had to pull myself out of it because I was so upset by what I was looking at. Uh, it just, it, we're, I don't know, this is going in the wrong direction. If I don't this, I don't know. I don't want to. If we don't want to keep talking about, it. even in Buffalo, I don't know if anybody saw that video of them shoving like a seventy-five-year-old man, yeah, onto the ground. And this man hit his head, and in the video, like you can see the blood coming out from us. Sorry, if the trigger warning um, for <laughs> anybody, late. but there's it's too. I'm, I apologize. Um, That's all right. But you know, like as one that's already been said, as there's blood pooling out of this man's head, the police are jumping over him and moving around him. Not one for like. 15 seconds even like stop to check and see if he's okay like oh yeah it's crazy what we've been listen what what the thing that i don't understand is like do they not get that this is not actually going to keep people safe it's just going to make people angry which is going to like because that's i feel like their defense like oh we have like we have to disperse the protest because it's going to turn into a riot or a looting and like we need to be safe and like that is like kind of fair like that that is the police's job technically to keep us safe but it's like is this really do we really have does anyone think that this is like people who are being peaceful who are not rioting like oh let's stir them up and get them angry like that's not how you keep the peace that's how you create a riot like so i just like i just don't really understand the logic here Well, I don't know. If they, I, I mean, if we a lot of people the logic, then we wouldn't have a need for these protests. Right. That is a good point. Yeah, people are. Yeah, people like to believe that they're not emotional creatures, you know, right? But they make decisions based on emotion. And I can only assume that. And I don't think this is a defense in any way because it's it's actually the opposite. Um, I think when police get into these situations where they feel like they, you know, their their own safety is in danger, then they respond. Then they may respond in a way that is um dangerous to the people that you know their bodies are telling them are a danger to them does that make sense and and, yeah. and their training and the culture their training like, the culture the culture of of, of it's not an excuse but it's right. just the reality is the culture which, the training which means that we have to work harder response. to we have to work harder 
to um, not go down that path. Uh, you know, this is ours. Ours is a, yeah, it's it's insane. It's the it's the training and the culture. That's where some of the change definitely needs to start. Yeah. To keep rolling on the public health like crisis, the misappropriate. Sorry, the may this may be political or inflammatory, but the misappropriation of funding to police is crazy. I had no idea, like the percentage of like public funds that go towards police and not towards other like public health initiatives. Yeah, we like healthcare and education and social work and so many other like you know statistically proven like public health interventions and measures that like could receive more funding and yeah for a for a country that prides itself on uh freedom we seem to have a difficult time figuring out uh how to allocate funds such that it promotes that instead of control uh yeah so to bring it to bring it back to like where i don't know like where this fits with like public funding for like public services versus like public health services versus like police forces. But um, I was just re-listening to a podcast um, called The Nocturnist, who has like been Mm. on this show before. Um, And it was about like geriatric medicine. And I just feel like funding goes where like money is to be made. So um, she was talking about how um, in the U S we tend to spend a lot of money on research that like prolongs people's lives, but not like improves the quality of it. And so a lot of our elderly population is suffering and sorry, this is kind of a tangent, but, um, they're, they're like being given these like miracle drugs that have done so much to be able to extend people's lives and cure diseases, but we don't have the money for good, like nursing home care, independent living facilities or social work or, um, just general public services that improve the quality of people's lives and, um, mental health services and all of that. And like, Instead, we're spending, which I would love for research and drugs and interventions and all of that to continue to happen. But um, they looked they looked at funding like um, African-American and general minority like research populations are more likely to take on like community health projects. And then like white people are more likely to be involved in research that has to do with like an organ system or like a molecular Mm. level. And so there's like a misappropriation of funds there. And so it's just like so deeply ingrained in our society that like on a political, like state federal level, like we're putting more money into our police force than we are into mental health services and community outreach. Um, And so just all across the board in the U.S., like prevention is not prioritized. It's reaction. Yeah, this is a I mean, this it's it's just a symptom of of the 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 way that our society was you know began um and the way and all of these decisions that were made early on that that sort of created this i this idea that um money is the most important thing and one's output one's productivity in society is the most important thing and if you do things that don't look productive that don't make money that don't transfer funds from from one bank account to another, um, then you're not valuable to society and and not worth spending pub, you know funds mm-hmm. on. Um, and it's unfortunate because we you know we're losing a lot. Um, we're losing a lot of we're lo- we're losing a lot of people. We're losing a lot of knowledge. We're losing a lot of um, you know maybe we're losing a lot of our humanity uh, when these sorts of decisions are made unconsciously. So, <sighs> what a serious topic. I'm sorry if you tuned in looking for uh, for the usual for the usual short coat fun, but hey, it's a good time to talk about this kind of stuff. I think it's important for us to to you know even if we're even if we're even if you're wrong about even if we're wrong about what's happening mm-hmm. here, I think it's important for us to take this moment and as many moments as you can and try to figure out what the problem is and really uh, and and really sort of. Um, you know, try to set aside your preconceived notions about what is going on and really try to consider another point of view. And to to seize the moment and something I think that I've been reflecting on lately is how am I going to keep this momentum or this action or this energy going forward in the long term? 
Because that's um, really hard. People are not and, set up to do that. Right. So like something that I just I don't feel free, whatever, is like set reminders in your phone, whether it's weekly or biweekly or yeah. however often that you feel like you need to to keep educating like when possible keep donating keep reaching out to your friends or black people or people of color to keep like this momentum going because this can't be a one and done thing and i mean not to draw parallels because it's such a different topic but even with covid you know we dropped or it's obviously there's still ramifications but like we essentially just kind of like decided like oh like covid's not super serious anymore yeah um, I can, already, I can like, feel that lax. change. I'll tell you what, I can feel that change in myself, even as I remember that it's still a big deal. Like I can yeah, feel it, it happening in me. And um, that's a little... It can't, it can't happen. It can't happen with this. There's yeah. too many lives lost to... It can't happen with this. But, but also, you know, it's an opportunity. As that feeling recedes, I think it is an, also an opportunity to step away from the emotional um, responses that we have to these things and to start thinking about them in a more... Um, not dispassionate, but at least in a more logical way um, and start talking to people uh, without engaging your anger. Because one of the things I've noticed online, um, you know, is there's a lot of there's a lot of anger and fear about these topics that just gets in the way of the discussion. Yeah, um, be be an opportune time to have some fruitful discussion, more fruitful discussion once some of the emotional fervor has, you know. I'm not saying that it will subside, but once some of it has subsided, it will subside for the people that aren't affected. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, it will, it will subside. I I guarantee you that despite our best efforts, well, no, I guarantee you that we, uh, a group of white people talking into microphones today, we will feel less upset about this on a basic emotional gut level. Um, as time goes on, it may come back, you know, events may come back to overtake us, but we will, we, you know, human beings are not meant to feel an emotion for a long period of time. We just can't do it. Um, so it will subside, but you can't let it, you can't let the efforts stop just because that emotional reaction uh, went away. Well, I think one thing, um, Nathan, um, did, Uh, the reminders on the phone, I think is a good thing. And then me just like continuing to try to diversify like my newsfeed, my social media, because, um, the reality is I am a white woman. And although I have, like, I went to Mizzou and there was a, there was actually a hunger strike that happened on my campus when I was going there. Um, my sophomore year of college and then it's two hours from Ferguson, Missouri. So like these things have like happened in my sphere, um, several times. Um, and each time like you, it kind of, it does subside, but for the population that is affected it, the hurt and the pain, like it's really hard to have forgotten. So doing things like continuing to have the conversation. And then for me, what has helped is diversifying my social media so that the people who like have taken up arms, that this is their cause that they work for in and out day in and day out every single day, like it shows up. And so that I'm reminded of things that, that is I a great do. strategy. Actually, that yeah. is really think, good. Cause I, I spend a lot of time that, like, calling my social media feed of crazy people, but I should also be adding in mm-hmm. the, um, the voices of the people who are, you know, who are really experiencing these Because I issues. know I'm not perfect. And as much as I would love to continue um, this, I know that I will fail and I will forget and I will get caught up in my own life. And, um, and I'm not to say that it doesn't affect me in some way, because when I was on Mizzou's campus, that was, it did feel deeply personal, but there, I could never stand in those shoes. Um, being who I am. So just trying to surround your, like diversify your sphere of influence, whether that's in real life or online. Mm -hmm. I think too, it's important to remember that like, if you're someone like me who grew up in a really, really white community and you're white and like, while it's not necessarily okay that you haven't known about this or that like maybe you've been really ignorant or really aloof or apathetic about it, like it's not too late. I just think that's really important to remember that it's like 
there's still room for you in the, this movement. Like, absolutely. Like, I think I've just seen a lot of really hateful postings on social media towards, like, people who, like, are saying, like, oh, I just didn't know. Or, like, I've just seen a lot of hate directed at people who don't understand the issue. And I just think that if you don't understand, like, that's a completely different situation than, oh, I understand, but I'm choosing my way anyway. And mm-hmm. so, I, like, Madeline said I would just really encourage you to like you know seek out those differing voices on your social media if you have friends um who are people of color like just ask them their story like ask like that was one of the biggest things for me is like I just like I spent a summer in Alabama and I've like met a bunch of black people for the first time and I just like asked them about it this was actually that summer that everything was happening in like Ferguson and stuff and I just like asked I was like so like what what is it like to to be black in Birmingham Alabama and it was like I had no idea like I've grown up my whole life like oh if something happens to me I would absolutely not be afraid to go to a police officer you know like because I've never felt threatened but like I I had no idea until that summer like I I talked to these people and they're like oh yeah we would we would never go to a cop for help and so I just like I hope you know that like there is space for you to process and understand like just don't let that discourage you from like oh I've always been this way like it's okay to to change now like it's definitely not too late sounds good uh, similar similar to da- i started a process of starting to muting like muting people i did not dis- i disagreed with which i think was the easy way out i think this is like a sorry not to say that you're taking the easy way out dave no and um, i should i should th- expand on what i meant but go ahead yeah i was gonna say like this is a time to like i mean maybe not like this like we had talked about with emotions um but to, like have conversations with people that you disagree with i think especially in the medical community or being associated with health, like the lay public or like your family or whatever, like there is some kind of like prestige and privilege and like respect associated with that. And if, you know, you take the time to like put that out, olive branch out of like, I see you, I see your perspective, but like, here's some new information. Here's a perspective you might not have thought about, like to be that person. I, I mean, it's hard, especially if it's like your family or people that you like don't want to make waves with or disrupt a mm-hmm. friendship or anything like that. Like this is the time to lean into that uncomfort. Yeah. And it's, I'm sure not going to resolve immediately. Like it's, you're probably hard pressed to like have one reply to somebody's Facebook post and like change their mind forever. Um, mm-hmm. but I think this is like the time to start like planting those seeds and making that, that work. I know I, I have a couple of friends that like are really good about like being very respectful in the quote unquote comment fights. Um, and that I like very much uh, validate for them for their choice to like fight the good fight in that sense. But um, for me, I just, I cannot be eloquent in like the written word. Like I just can't like, this is why I do the podcast because I like to talk and I'm sure I'll listen back to this podcast and be like, Oh, I wish I didn't say that or <laughs> that was dumb or whatever. But I just, I, I think while I talk like, when I write papers, I actually dictate them to my phone and then I transcribe them because I can't. So I, and then I also find on social media, people say things that they would never say in real life. And they just, you, some people, you will never change their mind. So I think maybe muting the people that are just not good for my mental health, who will never, ever change at least on Facebook. Um, and then dialoguing with people that I think more, I don't know. I that's the approach that I have taken. And I don't know if it's the right approach. You know, like I just know that, you know, when I choose, first of all, when I choose to mute people, it's because they are sharing things without thinking about it. They are sharing things that are divisive and they have not been able to figure out that they're being used by whatever, whoever made that meme that they're sharing or that image. Mm-hmm. Um the one I'm thinking about right now is the Hitler with the Bible, um, the picture of Hitler with the Bible juxtaposed with uh, President Trump with the Bible. Um, I don't know if you saw that picture, but it's completely fake. Mm-hmm. Um, it's photoshopped, right? Yeah, it's photoshopped. Uh, and um, the only purpose for that is 
The only purpose for its creation, I suspect, was to continue the process of dividing people. I have tried my best to warn people that I'm not into it and that I think it's a bad idea, but I also have to, I have to mute those people because it damages me. You know, it damages my brain every time I, every, every time I see somebody, somebody do this. And maybe that's a selfish response, but I kind of like to think of it as, you know, saving myself for if, to fight another day, not to ignore that said, it may be the wrong response. I can't, you know, only time will tell, but I also would like to think that, um, you know, I will also be as much as possible that person who does what your your eloquent friends do and sort of point things out i've been successful in that and sometimes you know it's kind of well i've been successful in maybe not in changing minds but at least in um corresponding in a way that isn't um emotional mm -hmm. and um that doesn't just feed the fire but i don't know it's it's tough you know like i i also tell myself that in times past um people weren't on social media <laughs> and, I, and and I have friends who yeah. refuse to use social media and should I say to them well the fact that you refuse to use social media means that you're not engaging in this discussion I, I don't know you know like I don't know where that line gets drawn you know what I'm saying yeah yeah see I I went on this phase last fall after like I just like really passionate about social justice issues and stuff and I like went on this phase where I just like posted all my thoughts on social media and it was just like and I did my very best to be calm and neutral and logical in these like just trying to really educate people but I found the people who were commenting on these posts were not able to engage with that at all I guess there was not not all of them like sometimes I had like the like the very best that would happen is like well there's no way i would ever agree with you but i see your point like not even i see your point like we can agree to disagree and i just like from that point i was like is this like is this really working <laughs> and so i guess with this uh, with this like now in this last two weeks we've had like i've just chosen not to post about it, even though i feel really strongly and i have lots of thoughts but i'm like is posting on social media adding to the conversation for me and for the people who follow me like i don't know that it is and i i'm not saying that it's wrong to post at all but i'm just like not necessarily because i am like madeline and and better I'm way better at writing than talking, actually, I'd say. But I just feel like those in-person conversations, like, just go way better. Yeah. And yeah. so I just, like, think it's important to think about before you post, like, is this going to educate or is it just going to divide? And, like, maybe you have a really, maybe your followers are way more willing to discuss than mine are, but I don't know. Well, coming up on 56 minutes, and I had so much more planned today, but I think our discussion was kind of good for us. I feel pretty, yeah. I don't know. I yeah. feel like we, uh, I feel like we've had a good discussion and, and, um, so I think I'll end it here. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah. 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 Uh, Nathan, Abby, Madeline, Levi, thank you for being my co-host today. You're Thanks welcome, Dave. Thank you, Dave. And what kind of garbage person would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week? Blah, 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 blah. If you're new here, you know, like what you heard today, subscribe uh, wherever fine podcasts are available. Uh, send your questions like Kayla did. Love those questions uh, because it means that the show can be what you want it to be about. Um, I'd love to hear what you thought about our rambling discussion today. So uh, send something to the shortcoats at gmail.com. Uh, just remember to be cool about it. Remember to be calm. Remember to be unemotional. Remember to be loving when you comment because we love you. Uh, and we'll talk about it on the show. Uh, while your podcast app is open, we hope you'll be the kind of listener we're always grateful for. Give us some stars and a review to let us know if we're doing it right. Shows made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, Student Government, and Ongoing Sport from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox, and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. <laughs>